Hey, all you Theosciples, I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. You are listening to the Theonauts Podcast with your hosts, David and Jeremiah. Right here at GCTNetwork.com, your Great Commission transmission. The Theonauts, episode 93. The one where God says to Paul, hey, buddy, take a pen and write this down. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hey, all you theoapologists out there, I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the Theonauts. That's right, coming to you live at 8.31 in the evening when we've had a full day of work. Yes. We're fueled with coffee. And Bible study. And Bible study, that's right. We study Galatians chapter 5. Four. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 4 tonight. It is in the middle of Galatians. That's right. Dealing with issues of law. Versus grace. Grace and faith. That's right. Pull, had to pull out a little Martin Luther. Yeah. Quote in there. He's so quotable. Oh, man. Martin Luther. Yeah, not only that, but he's he's like so harsh in some points. Oh, yeah. So great. I love him, like, you know, <laughs> calling the Pope, you know, <laughs> the devil and all that. So, anyways, yeah. Uh, Galatians 4 went over really well tonight. I think uh, I learned some things. So it was good. That was cool. Yeah. Talking about no longer slaves, but uh, sons and daughters in Christ. You know, like Hagar. Yeah, get out of there. Yeah, get you're like that. you're like Sarah and Sarah's son. Yeah, yeah. Quit being an Ishmael. Being Isaac. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> how are you doing, David? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's frog hair. It is frog hair. Yeah. What is frog hair? I don't know. You know, hair on the frog. So fine. You fine can't as a it. frog hair. Yeah. Is that a term that people use? <laughs> You just blew me away with your Texasisms. Have you never heard that before? Never heard that before. Have you ever gigged a frog? Yeah, I've gigged a frog. <laughs> Those, that's really fun. Frog gigging. Have you ever been frog Okay, okay, I got to tell a story. All right. Okay, so... When I, <laughs> this is always great. Okay, when, I was in, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. we in our biology class, of course, we're backwoods, like little country town here. Sure. And uh, so I got to turn that air conditioner off. <laughs> Lucky we have a remote. We live in the 21st century. Yes. Go okay. Ahead. So we are in biology class. Yes. And um, that thing was loud. And so the the instructor says, "Hey, if you boys will go out there to a pond and and bring in a, a live bullfrog, I'll cut that thing open. We'll watch its heart beat." <laughs> well, who could resist that? So. <laughs> that sounds like something in a small town, Texas. <laughs> okay, so the next day, I don't know who it was. One of the kids in the class had caught two large, I mean large, bullfrogs. And bullfrogs can get pretty good size. This this bullfrog was probably uh, eight inches around. I mean, it, it was big. And they had these huge legs, you know, right? Right. So uh, anyway, it's all wet and slimy. So we get it out, and we got it laying there on the table. It took three of us to hold the frog down. I'm holding its head. Like, it's laying on its back, all sprawled out. I'm holding its head, and there's a kid on each leg, right? And this thing is, like, kicking. I mean, it's, like, freaking. (laughs) Right. Okay, so it's taken all three of us to hold it down. He's like, all right, hold it still, boys. And he gets his his scalpel out. He cuts that thing open, and, of course, it starts freaking. Sure. And then he gets the uh, the this scissors. This is horrible. And he cuts this thing's breastbone. Right. And we splay it open, pry it open. You sitting there and watching the heartbeat, and everybody's like, "Oh, cool," you know, and all this. And I'm thinking, I wonder what would happen if I let this thing go. <laughs> so I just kind of let my hand slide off of his, the end of his head because he was really wet. And I was like, oh, it's loose. And both of those guys that were on the legs just released it like, whoop. 
And this thing jumps off the table and starts going all over the room. <laughs> opened up. Opened up. It's dragging its guts all over the place. And the girls are all climbing up on their chairs and screaming and hollering. And the whole place just went into chaos. Kids are chasing this frog around. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's so, crazy. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> We at Theonauts do not condone any yes. animal cruelty. Well, of no any animals type. were injured yeah. in the making of this. Oh my goodness! Wow, that's crazy. it was all. It was all done in the name of science. Sure, of course you and, want to and see it. Yes, so you frog mean, heartbeat. And I wouldn't be the Theonaut I am today if I had not gone through that. That's right. Science. That's right. <laughs> you wouldn't have written science by design. Oh yeah. Okay. So we're ready to jump into this. Uh, you know what? After that it's, story, I'm ready to do it's anything. It's late. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, I want to make the disclaimer. That this is Jeremiah's topic. Before we even begin this topic, because this is a very, very hot button issue that we need to check our uh, check our feelings at the door. <laughs> you know what happened last time we did that? Right. <laughs> and check our uh, ideals at the door and look at this... <clears throat> Objectively, <clears throat> understanding that we as theonauts do not either condone nor deny Con- what we're studying. Confirm today. or deny? That's right. It's important to do that before we get into this because this is a very, it really is a hot button issue because, I mean, this is at the heart of what we believe as far as Christianity to begin well, with. Well, I think the one article you sent me said, um, let's see, what was it? It was. The the name of the article was something like the biggest theological debate of the next twenty years. Right. So let's tackle it, baby. <laughs> well, okay. So <laughs> what we're talking about today is biblical inerrancy. What that means, what it looks like, at least in part. In part, basically, because I got some other stuff I want to talk about. Too. Right. We're going to examine basically what we believe about the Bible. Okay, we've examined how we got the Bible. We've examined the different translations, all that stuff. We've even kind of examined the whole idea of biblical inerrancy at the very beginning of Theonauts. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is going to go all the way back to episode one, right? When we we tackled hermeneutics, we tackled exegesis and eisegesis. Yes, and that's going to come up today, right? I got to talk about it. That's good. That's good. Herman's in the house. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so hermeneutics, yeah, definitely. We're gonna hit hit hermeneutics. Um, but the biggest question on my mind to begin this talk to begin with, and I posted this on Facebook earlier, um, was an a question a question about inerrancy. And the question I posed on Facebook, and you can go and still comment if you'd like to. Find, oh, by the way, you can blame Philip, too. Philip was the one who who That's right. lit our fire on this. Yes. So, go so ahead, sorry. my question is, is there a difference between infallibility and inerrancy? Or are they the same thing? Are they synonymous? And then, on top of that, is the Bible one? Both or neither. So what do you think, David? On infallibility? Yeah. In, uh, infallibility and inerrancy. And define those things for me. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> I threw you to the wolves, didn't I? Well, I think as as we've talked a little bit about coming into this, is a lot of this, at least in this terms of infallibility and inerrancy and all that sort of stuff, a lot of this is semantics. Because we'll find that people on different sides of the Debate. Of, of the spectrum yeah. kind of believe a lot of the same stuff. They're they just do. not saying it the same way. Right, because those words, the wonderful <laughs> thing about the English language is that words morph over time. Yeah, that's time. the wonderful thing about the English language. Yeah, actually, it's a horrible thing about the English language. <laughs> words morph over time. and but You know, that's not just the English language. You know, it's every Angl- language. Ang- uh, in, but I can't even talk. <laughs> Languages evolve, right? And they devolve, actually. But go ahead. So, what we're talking about today is uh, 
the big theological term, I found the theological term for this, is theonoustos. Oh, yeah, new toast. Theonoustos. Noustos. And basically it means the God-breathed or God-inspiration of Scripture. What it means by God-breathed. And that that comes from, uh, obviously, the main Scripture, of course, is 2 Timothy 3.16, right? Okay. Um, I don't even have that pulled up for some dumb reason. (laughs) I had everything else pulled up, but I don't have this. So give me one second. I'll pull this up. 2 Timothy 3.16. Oh, I've got it pulled up. Do you? Yeah. Okay, go. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Right. So this whole breathed out by God, God breathed. Wait a minute. Let me finish the sentence. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so this whole word God breathed this is the basis for that theonutosis or whatever it is. Okay. You can look it up and try to pronounce it yourself. Um, but it's a metaphor, God breathed. So what is Timothy talking about, or Paul, wow, I'm, it's late. Paul's what is, talking to Timothy. What is Paul talking about when he says that all Scripture is God-breathed? Does he mean all Scripture here? What's he What's he saying? And we've covered this before. For me, uh, the Scripture specifically is talking about the Old Testament. Uh, yes, because originally. the New Testament was not in play at this time. That's right. <laughs> but beyond that... <clears throat> Paul is making a distinction that it is given by divine inspiration from God. The metaphor that Paul mm-hmm, uses mm-hmm. to get that across is God breathed. Would you really consider that a metaphor, though? I, I would. Do you think it was literally breathed out by God? Like God well, breathed it and it happened. Well, no, right there? the word breathed, pneuma, w- would be yeah, because that's that's spirit. Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it is God's spirit in it. Is is what it's saying? Yeah. So God so, inspiration, right? Right. right. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, one thing that I want to make note of. Here okay, is, go ahead. Let's not forget the context of the passage, which is uh, he led into this talking about how I've taught you a lot. I've taught you things, Timothy. Right. Uh, your grandma taught you. Your mom taught you. You know, I mean, there's this teaching. Right. Is what is is being. Uh, and then, of course, it, then it leads into this whole thing about how all the scriptures are leading to the salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable. So the the so the point being that the 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 Tanakh is what he's referring to, right? Would have been profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproving, for training. And so that you can be complete. He's trying to bring Timothy along to be his successor. Right. So he's saying, so stay in the scriptures because that's going to make you complete, complete in order to serve God. Absolutely. But this whole idea, <clears throat> this this God-breathed or this uh, the inspiration, I want to get back to the Tanakh in a second because okay. I think it's really interesting how the Jews view the Tanakh versus how we view the Tanakh, how it's Jesus yeah. would have viewed the Tanakh versus how we view the Tanakh, especially with uh, divine inspiration, this whole idea of divine inspiration. So for me, uh, okay, so you have two main view, views of the God-breathed thing or God's inspiration. Either he literally inspired every single word to be written in Scripture, which is called the uh, plenary verbal inspiration. Okay. Okay. Which is literal words. Okay. So that God basically possesses Paul, right, (laughs) through the Holy Spirit, and uses Paul to write down or to dictate every word that Paul does for the Bible. Okay. Well, let's stop right there and just talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Okay, so um, there there are things that 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 questions that get raised then at that point. Absolutely. Is if we are if we are leaning on that. Like if that's what we're we're after that everything that Okay, first off, we don't speak the language Paul spoke. Right. We don't speak the language that Moses spoke. Right. Uh, what we read here, even if you're a diehard 400-year-old King James Version guy, yeah. 
if what you're reading is not word for word what was written by Paul. It, it is not. You're absolutely right. So <clears throat> even if we go to the if we go to the point where every single syllable was specifically given to be written down by God himself, then we're still missing it. We're still losing it because we don't speak those languages. Right. And there is no way, by the way, and we've covered this a lot throughout the Theonauts, there's no way to translate it so that you do get it all. Yeah, you it's have impossible. To, you have to learn those languages in order to do it because languages aren't the same. The phonetics, the the structure, the verb structure, the... The, the way everything is, there's not even any vowels in Hebrew. Right. Okay? So things are so different in those languages. We have one word for love. I mean, there's so much that you... Oh, we've got less verb tenses than the Greek language does. Greek right. language has multiple verb tenses that we don't have. Right. I mean, there's just so much that is missed when you translate anything. There's no such thing as a good translation. Right. Every translation is a good translation. You need them all in to get the the, the, the gist of what's being said. Yes. Not to mention the fact that we don't have any of the original autographs. Right. Not a single one. Right. So Everything I, we have is a copy of the correct. original. And most of the time, a copy of a copy of right. a copy. Right. I mean, so although I will say this, scribes took their job very seriously. Yes. A guy could lose his career if a word is missing. Right. Okay, so it, it's not like we're us not, where we're sitting down and just copying something. They would they would take, and Dramatria is the num, numerical values of every letter in those languages, both Hebrew and Greek, used this Dramatria. And what the scribe would do is as he was taking a page of the scroll, he would, before he transcribed he would add up all of the gematria values and write it down, write the sum down, right? And then do the, his transcribing of it, and then see if the sums match. If the sums matched, he could move on to the next page. If they did not, he trashed the entire page and started again, right? So this was very, very. It was meticulous, meticulous, and it was so, so a copy is good, right? So what we're saying is, is you know, the translations we have today. If 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 it is word for word, every word inspired, then the the translations we have today are are not inerrant. Correct. They would be fallible in if we're holding it to that. And again, I'm not going to say fallible. I'm going to say inerrant. Okay. There's different. I I believe there's a different. I'm. It's semantics. I'm Go starting ahead. to look at this, and I don't think it's semantics either. But we're going to get to that. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> Um, yeah, but w what we are saying is it could be very possible, or uh, this is one way of looking at it, that, um, and I, again, I'm not going to ar argue either side because I can see good arguments for both, that the original uh, manuscripts were literally inerrant, literally word-for-word God-breathed or God-written down. But there's another thing that I, I kind of find weird, if that's the case. So, for instance, Paul's, I really want to focus on Paul tonight because Paul, to me, is important here. Um, I'll give you one good case. We read it tonight. Uh, Galatians 4, uh, verse 11. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my effort on you. Paul makes a personal comment. Yeah. Okay. We have other places where where Paul makes other personal comments, like uh, in is it Ephesians, where he's like, "I praise the Lord that I didn't." No, it's not Ephesians. What is it? Well, in First Corinthians fourteen, yeah. he does this thing where he says, uh, "Now what I did say or what I said here was from a commandment from the Lord. What I'm going to say next is me, me, or maybe that's First Corinthians seven where he says it." Yeah. So it's like. So it's like he is putting some parenthetical yeah, thought and, and, into it. And in other places, he's like, I praise the Lord that I didn't baptize any of you. And he's like, oh, wait, I baptized you. Oh, wait, I baptized oh, yeah, you yeah, also. But, you know, Corinthians 1. the rest of you I didn't baptize, I think. Yeah, right? So that right there, is is that God breathed? Like, is that literally, did God tell Paul to write down every single one of those words? And then you have the Skybalon issue. 
Oh yeah, you have Skyvalon, <laughs> right? Uh, which I'm not going to go into that one. Just <laughs> stop right there. I don't want to cause any more people to hate me. But uh, so my question is, and if you can go with that, and you can go, oh yeah, God caused Paul to write down every single one of those words, then okay, more power to you. That's fine. I'm I'm really like working on that. What do you think about that? You know, it's really weird because when we get to this, it really boils down to a lot of the same types of of debates that like what we had when we talked about suffering. Well, does God, you know, cause every single thing, <laughs> or is it that He's behind right. the? I'm not being a good Calvinist right now, am I? Of it, <laughs> because it really is kind of the same argument. It's like, okay, so does the does the text lose anything by relying on a servant of God instead of relying on specific exactly inspiration for every single syllable. I mean, well, and there's there's the argument that it does. It absolutely does. And I've I've heard that argument. And mm-hmm. actually for my whole life that's all I've really under, understood until recently when I actually started studying this for myself. Um right. so you know, I'll give you an example. Uh Wayne Grudem this is the definition, inerrancy. Uh, inerrancy simply means that the Bible is without error. It is a belief that the total truthfulness and reliability of God's words, uh, it's the belief in the total truthfulness and reliability of God's word. That's from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theolo- uh, Theology, which is the number one systematic that everybody goes to seminary for with right now. Right. So... Um, in saying that, total truthfulness and reliability on God's words, I I can believe. I mean, I'm a hundred percent behind yeah. that. I believe well, that the Bible is inerrant, and you according hear the, to that definition, right? And you hear certain passages or people that will say, you know, well, what the Bible teaches, it's it is true in, so it's not it doesn't err in what it's teaching. I'll agree with that, and if you if if that is where we're going with inerrancy, right. Um, then I can I can believe that right uh, is it okay give me the what where you're seeing the difference in infallibility okay so inerrancy has been a catchphrase for the past fifty years I would say forty years I guess really actually in the seventies it became a huge fight in the fundamentalists. Versus the neo-evangelists. Those liberals. Okay, yeah. So you have a neo-evangelist and you have fundamentalists. <laughs> and the fundamentalists uh, use the word inerrancy. And what they meant by inerrancy was plenary verbal inspiration. That was what they believed about inerrancy. Well, okay, so that has the language has morphed into that. Whenever you say inerrancy... Or whenever somebody says inerrancy, what they what they're saying is, and here's the sad thing is most lay Christians have no clue. So when a pastor's in the pulpit and he says the Bible is completely inerrant, they don't understand that he's not talking about the Bible that they're holding in their hands. They what he probably means, which is most evangelicals or most fundamentalist evangelicals, uh, when they say the Bible is inerrant, what they're talking about is the original manuscripts where every syllable was breathed out by God and written down, uh, you know, by right. by God, basically. Right, because the next thing you have to do is, is I mean, you can pick yourself apart. Exactly. Because then we get in the whole argument about which translation and you know, right. all that sort of so, stuff. So most people, when they hear, well, the Bible is inerrant, they think, okay, so my King James or my ESV or my NASB is inerrant, which is not true. It's not true. You can't say that. You just can't. Right. But what you can say is that the original manuscripts were inerrant, okay? And that's what most fundamentalist evangelicals believe, but they believe that in the plenary verbal inspiration. They do not use inerrant to mean dynamic inspiration, which is the inspiration of the authors. In other words, God used Paul and Paul's makeup and everything Paul was and... Uh, Paul's spiritual gifts mm-hmm. uh, through divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his personality, and through po- prof- prophecy, prophetic uh, ability, because he was a prophet as well as a uh, um, um, 
a, a uh, oh my gosh, apostle. Apostle, thank you. <laughs> and his apostolic hood, or whatever you call that, <laughs> apostol, apost, apostleship, <laughs> apostleship, apostleship. Keep, keep going. I got it. Okay, he used that to use Paul to write these letters. Yeah. And Paul, there's there's pieces of Paul in this. Yeah. But it's still inerrant because it was God inspired. Do you see the difference? Yeah, because and and actually I would lean that direction more, mainly because okay, if you go into a study of authorship, what is one of the main things you look <laughs> at whenever you're studying an authorship? Yeah. You're trying to determine That's okay, true. what how does this author write compared to another? His style. Right. Paul has a completely different style of writing than John. Right. If it were plenary verbal inspiration, this is one of my thoughts, then every single one of the letters would read the, same. Would read the exact same. Right. And that, to me, doesn't make sense. So, okay, now I've made see, a lot of fundamentalists mad, and I'm not saying but, that it but, could but hang be. On. I, but, I, I think that everyone's taking this too too far. But I think it, it's a big deal, though. Because, and this is the reason it's a big deal, because people are lining up and, okay, so I'll I'll use a really good example. Chris Miller, one of my uh, early roommates, was a youth pastor uh, in Kansas, and uh, he went to interview for this job. And the, the pastor said, do you believe in inerrancy of scripture? And Chris is like, okay, define inerrancy. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. So the pastor went on to define plenary verbal inspiration. If you don't believe in that, you don't get this job. <laughs> it's a it's a lynch key. Yeah, yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? Okay, well then that gets back to what we've been talking about here Unity. on the forever. <sighs> is that is that we are using these things to divide us. Yeah. Okay, look. Look at what Paul was telling Timothy for crying out loud. The Bible is reliable. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> that's what he's saying. He's like, this stuff is this God has inspired this book. Okay, whether however you however that hits your brain, just know that the Bible is trustworthy. Okay, now we can go crazy and say, well, Jesus says it says right there that the 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 mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, and we know that's not true. That's inerrant, or that's error right but, there. But the, the fact is, listen to what <laughs> Jesus was saying. The point of it. Jesus wasn't saying, wasn't making a fact about seeds. He wasn't teaching us, uh, you know, herbs and, and botany. Right. He, was, he was teaching about faith and about how small uh, that seed is. And to most of the people that he was talking with, that's probably the smallest seed they ever saw. Yeah. Okay? So let's not go crazy in... Okay, there's another one. The uh, if, you, if you start doing some math around the, the circumference of the, 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 the laver that was in front of the tabernacle. Yeah. Okay, it's all spelled out real clear. And... Um, and people go, oh, if you actually put pi in there, you don't get the. That's not true. It's it's actually miscalculations. But if you take in the width of the bowl, it's the lip of the bowl itself. It's it works, okay. But the thing is, guys want to beat it up because everyone's looking for errors, right? And the, okay, so you bring a really interesting thing for me, like the Old Testament, and that's where I wanted to go with the Tanakh. This whole idea with the Tanakh, okay, and how the Israelites actually view or Jews view the Old Testament is totally different than we, in a lot of ways, than we view the Tanakh. And mm-hmm. one of one of the biggest problems I have with this whole idea of inerrancy is the numbers in the Old Testament. The numbers don't line up. Uh, when he's killed 500,000, right? Then he's killed 20,000. These numbers are not exact. Which numbers are you talking about? Uh, in First Kings. Um, are you talking about how they just kind of use round numbers? For yeah, they round things out. And not only that... But okay, but this is also... Okay, this, this goes into uh, exegesis and hermeneutics. Yes, Okay, because... When you when you read the Bible, you've got to understand what you're reading and what the purpose for it was. Right. If there, if it's a letter of Paul, what is the purpose of the letter? What is the context? Who's he writing it to? Why is he writing it anyway? 
He's not writing this to be a list of rules for us in the 20th century. He was writing a specific reason, and it might apply to us, and it will apply to us in some way, but... The thing is, all all this stuff in the like the Old Testament, you're talking about the numbers. What was the the Hebrew Method. culture? Yeah, was was to okay. For example, forty, the number forty. It, that was a that was a, a a hyperbole. Right. It just meant a lot. Right. Whenever you would use forty, and it was usually used in reference to judgment. That's why you got forty years in the desert. Whenever you look at it, it's thirty eight point. Something right, okay, but it's always kind of rounded up to forty. You've got, uh, you know, all these these terms like this and these round numbers are used for specific reasons, right? And that's you know a thousand. A thousand's used to mean innumerable, right? Exactly, right. And so, um, you know, and even if you look at how the Hebrews viewed the Old Testament, I've said this twice now, but let's talk about it a little bit. Um, Okay. We view Proverbs on the same level as Genesis. <gasps> Should not do that. A Hebrew, <laughs> a Hebrew doesn't do that. No way at all. They will not even touch with their hand a Sefer Torah, right? Because it is so um, sacred. Sacred. It you, is God's word. You don't touch it with your hand, right? And but you can handle the Proverbs all you want. Exactly. Because that's in a different book. Exactly. It's a different book. And that's the thing. They viewed biblical inspiration. They they did view Proverbs to be inspired by God. Mm-hmm. But they didn't view it in the same in- inspiration well, as they viewed Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, One time I, I interviewed a, um, a rabbi and asked him a lot of these type of questions because I was mm-hmm. doing a lot of this type of study. And uh, he's... It, I still remember the, a lot of the wording he used and everything because it was very interesting. He was like, the Tanakh is the very law of God. You don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Like you, it, it is precious. It is, it is ev- every piece of it, the paper, the ink, everything is sacred. Okay? Then you have the Nevaim, the writing of the prophets. So this is going to include Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, right. you know, all these, these writings. Jeremiah. They're, they're in the book called the Nevaim. Mm-hmm. And so whenever Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's saying Torah, Torah Nevaim. Nevaim yeah. so, so the Nevaim is considered holy scripture. Yeah. But it's not considered sacred like the Torah. Exactly. So you could still read it at your leisure or whatever and treat it like kind of like honestly like we do because we don't even treat the bible like the no like the Jews cheat the, right. treat the torah <laughs> yeah. okay so but then you got the keravim the keravim is psalms proverbs and all that means is the, the writings the writings yeah so the poetic song of solomon yes all of that falls into the keravim <laughs> and here's what the here's what the rabbi said about it that's pretty good stuff yeah <laughs> Right. It's, it's it's wise things to live by. It's pretty good stuff. But we as Christians, so, we don't understand that. And so, but understand this: that's not something that's just happened today. Jesus viewed it like that. Mm-hmm. That was Jesus's tradition that he grew up. In. And of course, Paul quotes all of that. Yeah, all throughout the New Testament. Right. And so we have to understand that this whole inerrancy thing is number one. It's not as big an issue as. Well, what we're trying to do here, I think, with this inerrancy argument is we're trying to make the whole Bible the same way the Jews treated the Torah, Torah. instead of listening to the message. Yeah. That's the important thing that we have to get across. And that's the infallibility that I want to talk about. That's the difference between inerrancy and infallibility. I can't sum it up any better. Um, I found a really good article uh, that I'm totally just going to... Read a uh, blurb from Robert Olson, uh, wrote for Pathos, and he wrote a really good just uh, statement. And this is what he says When I say the Bible is infallible, I mean that it cannot fail to communicate the truth we know about God in order to be saved and transformed. I mean, it is God's uniquely inspired message to humanity that infallibly uh, infol- reveals God's identity, character, and will, and the path to salvation. 
Infallible means incapable of failing. In other words, to me, when I say the Bible is infallible, I mean that it is perfect with respect to perfect purpose. John Piper, in an essay that can be found on his website, defines inerrancy that way, as perfection with respect to purpose. I think that it is not a good definition or description of inerrancy. Inerrancy implies much more than that, at least to the person in the pew. I think my view of Scripture, this is what inerrancy implies. I think my view of Scripture's authority and accuracy is not very different from that of, oh, no, this is him saying. I think my view of Scripture's authority and accuracy is not very different from that of many conservative evangelicals who affirm and defend, quote-unquote, biblical inerrancy. Our difference in those cases has to do with semantics. I happen to think inerrancy communicates the idea that the Bible is not true uh, to its real phenomena, and most conservative evangelical scholars know that to say know that and say they qualify inerrancy to death while insisting on the word as a kind of shibboleth uh, for deciding who's in and who's out of their approved circle of evangelicals. This the irony is that even with in their approved circle, there's a tremendous diversity of opinion about what inerrancy means. Yeah. Which is it's, so true to me. Anyways, this is me on a soapbox because I so, come out of this whole idea. So the, the, the thing that is going to get everyone spun up is just simple, is it a yes? It's a yes or no question. Yeah. Right? When someone says, is the Bible inerrant? Well, it's a yes or no question. Well, it's not just a yes or no question. Yeah. Because the, what are you implying Exactly. By it. And I know it sounds blasphemous if you can imply that it's not inerrant, because that makes it sound like you're saying there's mistakes in the Bible. That's right. And that's and not what we believe at all. In no, no. In fact, no. I believe that the Bible is totally infallible. There's God, God does everything perfect. There's no mistakes. Well, and there's all kinds of really cool things. Like if you really go and do some equidistance lettering sequence uh, studies... <laughs> Uh, in the in the Old Testament, Chuck Colson and, and uh, Chuck Missler, yeah. Missler, that's yeah. right, Chuck it's, Missler. Sorry, there's tons of cool stuff in there, and yeah. well, in the New Testament too, uh, yeah. like uh, for example, the the lineage of Jesus Christ. Sure, everything about the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter one is divisible evenly by the number seven. Like if I was going to tell you, I need you to write. Make up a lineage. <laughs> yeah. And it can have as many names in it as you want or whatever, but make sure that, that the number of names you use is evenly divisible by seven. Well, that wouldn't be hard. You just pick a number like 49, right? Sure. But then my next qualification is, okay, I'd make sure that the number of men mentioned in your description is evenly divisible by seven. Okay, you could probably still pull that off. No, I can make sure. That, go ahead, ma- and and make sure that the number of women mentioned is evenly divisible <laughs> by seven, and make sure that the number of consonants you use, and the number of verbs that you use, and the number of vowels that you use, and the, I mean, it's crazy. Sure, everything in it's like by you'd be going crazy trying to do it. Right, but there's a point to it, and that is to show God's handprint. This number seven means complete. Yeah. Right? And so it is to show God's handiwork in there. So that is a, that points to the that's the, right. the inerrancy down to the syllable. The syllable. Uh, and you know, and I'm saying that, that that could very well be, but we don't need to uh divide But by the way, if you're gonna try that in the English version, there's not an English version that, that still sticks that's right. to. I mean, that's only right in the original Greek. Yeah. So, uh, well, there are other right. things though too in reference to exegesis and 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 that sort of stuff that that I think is that that comes into play in our doctrine of scripture and how we how we view scripture because uh, a lot because okay first off if we stand we stand on the on this inerrant thing yeah then the next thing we we know we're going to stand on the inerrancy of our translation. Yeah, and then the inerrancy of my interpretation of it, yeah. and that's where that's really where uh, we have to be careful yeah. because the scriptures themselves can be inerrant, and you might be totally messed up, right? Like you, what you brought to the scriptures 
And a lot of times we don't realize we're bringing stuff to the scriptures. Every time we go to it. <clears throat> but we do. Um, right. And and that is uh, th- when we eisegete, right. which is whenever you take something that you already believe and then you read the scriptures, then you're bringing to it. Right. And so it's very easy for me to be a student of the Bible and to look you square in the eye and say, hey, this scripture says, and then read it, and that means, <laughs> yeah, and it's and God said it. I believe, I believe it. it. That's that settles, settles it. it. Yeah. That's the flattest <laughs> hermeneutic ever, right? Because because you're not taking in consideration any of the context. You're not con- taking in consideration any of the culture involved or anything. You're right. seeing what it ble- what it means to you. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I don't. I- I'm not a big proponent of topical preaching so much. Mm-hmm. Um, is simply because we end up eisegeting so much when we do topical preaching. Okay, so I'm going to talk about how lions a sin, right? So I'm going to pull out all these different verses that, that talk about lion being a sin, right? What you're doing is you're grabbing a scripture, you're taking it out of its context and dropping it into your topic of of sermon it right. and it may be in context or it may be what that scripture saying or it may not be but the point is it's it's so much easier to eisegete whenever you're doing topical uh sermons and it's not just this it's everything yeah or, it okay we get in camps right right and we grow up in camps yeah and we end up like okay are you a dispensationalist if so you're going to read every scripture a little different than the guy who's not a dispensationalist. Right. And you're going to be thoroughly convinced the Bible is saying exactly what you believe. Just like the guy over here who's not a dispensationalist is reading the same passages and not getting the same thing you are. Right. Okay. Then, okay, what about if you are a legalist? And maybe maybe you don't even consider yourself a legalist, but you are. Right. (laughs) And you're going to read every verse like it's some legal command that you ha- that is being commanded to you in order to get to heaven. So once again, the other guy who's not leaning on, well, we just went through Galatians tonight. <laughs> sure. The, you're, you, the, the other guy is reading these passages and not getting what you're getting out of them. This is, this is what I mean by, by eisegeting, because we do it way more than we think we are. Right. Um, but the, but aside from that, there's all kinds of other things. Like for example, uh, culture is so big in the scriptures. Just look at some of these things that that we've debated <laughs> over the past you know few years. Things like um, um, oh, the role of women. Okay, let's let's use that one. I'm not sure. even going to go into details about it, but it's a debatable topic. And one guy will read the passages that talk about women being silent, silent and this sort church. of thing. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, okay, it was a cultural thing. It was dealing specifically with Corinth and a problem that they were having. And that's why he told the Corinthians that. And uh, and why he told Timothy what he told him along those lines. Okay, so it's a cultural thing. doesn't apply to me. Well, then another person's going to read it and go, uh, nope, it's not a cultural thing. It's a commandment from God. So if it's commandment for God, it's good for the Corinthians. It's good for me as well. Right. I mean, so so there's all this all this debate that happens, and everyone's standing on Scripture. So it's not just about inerrancy. <laughs> yeah. There's there's errors in logic, and there's errors in in understanding. There's errors in in um, interpretation. And application, <laughs> I mean, it just right when we when we look at our doctrine of scripture, we just have to be very careful to be completely um, open to what the Bible is saying on its face value. Yeah, and not and not based on our yeah, and tradition. that's why I still hold to <clears throat> the whole. Um, Maybe people don't like the way it's said, but I still, it makes sense to me. One, there's always one interpretation of Scripture to me. There's one way that it can go, Um, and you may not know that way, (laughs) or we may not know that way, but there's one, and always it goes back to author's intent. Um, C.S. Lewis 
I wrote a book and I forgot the name of it, so I won't even. But basically, he was critiquing literary criticism, which was at the time that he was going to school. He was a he was in the modern mm-hmm. modernist age, and everything was shifting. Uh, so literary criticism was doing the same thing. These thinkers like Foucault and other people were coming out, and basically they were they were coming up with this whole new way of 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 analyzing literature. Right. And basically they were coming out and they were going, okay, it's not author's intent anymore. Really what it is is what you get out of it, what you feel so it's out in, of it. So, yeah, so interpretive from a different standpoint. It's subjective. It's subjective, right? Right. right. And so um, oh, it's called The Abolition of Man, good book by okay. C.S. Lewis. So Lewis was in the midst of all that and basically going, you guys are idiots. Like, no, <laughs> there's one interpretation of literature, and it's always author's intent. Mm-hmm. And I, I apply that because it's it's absolutely true. To me, it's absolutely true of Scripture. Yeah, yeah. It's author's intent. And that, and <clears> so <throat> we need to go and we need to realize that there is one interpretation of Scripture. There are many applications of Scripture. You can apply Scripture uh, to many different things in order to understand them better or, or well, fit, the, but. we'll say there's one correct interpretation of scripture. Yes, there are many interpretations, <laughs> but there's that, only one that's that correct. we we interpret it wrong that's in many right. cases. Exactly. And and by the way, we're all going to interpret some scriptures wrong. Yeah. Because we're we're humans dealing with a text that was written two thousand years ago, and none of us have audience with Paul to, to say, okay, what did you mean exactly when you said you gouge your eyes out for me? Right. <laughs> you know, or whatever. Or that thorn in you the... You would gouge your eyes out for me. Or that yeah. thorn in the flesh thing. You know, what were you exactly were you talking sure. about? Um, so, but, but you know, I want to, to also... Um, to think a little bit about, and we've mentioned this before on the show, um, because this also, when to me, if we get too caught up in this inerrancy thing, then we start losing some of the intent of the author. Yeah. Because, okay, going back to, say, Proverbs, a lot of people will read a proverb and think of it as a promise to me from God. Right. That's not the intent of the author, right? The intent of the intent of of all of the proverbs is spelled out in the first chapter, whenever he says, "Seek after wisdom." Right? right. Wisdom is uh, the it's calling to you, right? And the fear of God is the beginning oh. of wisdom. Mm-hmm. This is how to think wisely. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the the whole point of everything he writes in those Proverbs is giving you understanding on how to think wisely right. and how to do wise things. So, for example, um, popular proverb might be, train up a child in the way he goes, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. But my son Johnny, I taught him about Jesus since he was three, and now he's, you know, he's working now, down there Now at he's the in the drugs. And, yeah. <laughs> well... God lied to me. Yeah, that, or, or, that obviously is not or, correct scripture. Or the or the flip side of that, you must not have really taught Johnny yeah, properly. There was something you did wrong. You did that wrong. Otherwise, because the scripture says right there, That's it right. says, and it's infallible, it says right there that he <laughs> will not depart from That's it. That's a promise. So you must have done something wrong. You're missing the point of the proverb. The proverb is there to tell you how to act in order to try and get a certain result. That's right. It's about you. It's not about Johnny. Yeah. It's telling you, and and actually it's it's kind of missing it's mistranslated most oh, yeah. of the time. What it's really saying is a child will never change if you don't teach him. Right. That's really what it's saying. It it's not saying it's actually written backwards from what most translations write it. It's saying if you train up a child in the way that he will naturally go, then he'll never change. Right. So in other words, if a child is crying for things and you allow and begging for cry, things and I just keep giving him what he's, he's begging for, change. he's never going to change. He'll be an adult crying for those things. Right. And that's an absolute truth. You know, the reality is 
these things don't make the, the proverbs anymore tr- any less true no. just because it's not a promise or it's not you're just misunderstanding yeah uh, um, uh you know uh we've talked about Amos 3:3 3, 3, which gets used out of context all the time how can two walk together unless they be agreed that doesn't that's not a call to divide right that's not telling you if you disagree with with somebody you can't be a fellow brother with them right it is saying that it, well, it's a complete context, contextual argument that he's making of common sense. Yeah. How can two people walk together unless they have agreed to meet? If unless they have set a time aside, they're never going to walk together. Right. That's the that's the that's context the of the passage. Right. It's but, not saying you got to be together. <laughs> so once again, but people will read it and interpret it to mean I must divide from you if I don't agree with you. Well, that's the very word of God, and God's word says it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Well, that's not what the word of God says. Right. That is, that is, and that doesn't make the word of God in that in error because it doesn't mean what you thought it meant. Exactly. And so, I mean, I think just this is a big part of it is we need to learn how to interpret ancient texts like the scriptures. Yeah. So that we can rightly divide them as he was telling Timothy there. And in that passage there, so that it can be used for reproof, for correction, for instruction. Right. It's it's a trustworthy thing to use. Right. Amen. Wow. Anything else on that? I mean, this is such a <laughs> Ooh, a, a huge thing, you know, and... Uh, well, this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, really. It, it I mean, really because is. we were kind of all over the map about this stuff. And we need to, you know, maybe hone in on, on but, some other... But we just want to make sure everyone knows that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Amen. And it's infallible. It's absolutely infallible. And I believe it's an error. I'm not even going to use I'm those not, words, you know, because whatever <laughs> trappings those words mean to you, it, that's not what I mean. Right. The Bible is trustworthy. It's from God. Use it. Amen. And use it wisely. Yeah. (laughs) Strive. Even if it hurts, read it with an open mind, like like it's the first time you've ever read it. Right. Forget all those trappings that that you have, you know, heard from everybody and their dogs. Right. And... uh, and, and, and you'll do good. Just go to the scriptures and stop. You know, stop trying to divide over stupid little words that you really don't even understand the meaning of. <laughs> yeah, quit isogeting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's do some news. All right, let's do it. And now the news. Bono and Eugene Peterson are making a film about the Psalms. Really? Yeah. What's it called? Uh, let's see. Let me find out. The message. Uh, it's from the message for the Message Bible. Oh, I forgot. Eugene Peterson. He's the Message guy. Yeah, he's the me- he's the guy that created Message. Eugene Peterson. Well, he didn't create the Message. He created the Mesh. You know what I mean, <laughs> David. Uh, he created the Message. Some would call it a translation. That's incorrect. He created the Message. Um, what's the, what's the other remix? Word? Yeah, no, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Yeah, he created the message. Well, it's still paraphrase. a translation. No, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. But you know what? I want to I'm going to divide. I'm going to say a quick thing word. about the message. Okay, what? The message is a goofy translation. It's in from mind. the 70s. Yes. It's, what do you expect? Yeah, it's very groovy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but the one thing I will say about the message, it's named properly. Like it's named well because it kind of goes into this point that we were making. In that, a lot of times I can read something like the Nasby or the King James translation that's very kind of word for word. Yeah, and I get I get lost in the trees, right? Sure. And I'm not seeing the forest. The message. The message really, does yeah. a good job of showing you the forest. Right. You're not going to be able to do a lot of deep study with the message, but if you read, if you want to know what Romans is about, you can read it in like the message and at least get what it's about. That's right. And so it's it is it's actually a good tool. I just wouldn't use it as my Bible. Right. 
That's great. Excellent. So Eugene Patterson has devoted much of his life to sifting through and examining the profundity uh, of the Psalms and interpreting them in the modern English language for the Message Bible. No argue, and arguably no musician has brought the passion and depth of the Psalms to life for listeners more than the frontman of U2, Bono. That's why the newest pairing is such an exciting one. And while the teaser gives us almost no information other than the fact that the film is happening, it's a big deal. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. What's it saying? So basically, like, we don't know anything other than Bono and Eugene Peterson are making a film about the Psalms, but that's all we need to know right now. Because oh, okay. it's going to be epic. Okay, anyways. <laughs> um, a Jerusalem brewery made beer identical to the kind drank at the times of Christ. Oh. Yeah, so you can go, you know, <laughs> find this. Um, how do how they know that? Okay. <laughs> Basically, all right. So I'll just read you the blurb and you can you can figure it out for yourself. Some craft brewers in Jerusalem claim they have just Wait, made a beer. Some craft brewers oh, in Ju- oh. <laughs> I know it's late, but stay with me, David. Okay. Some craft bu- brewers in Jerusalem claim they have just made a beer that is exactly the same as the kind that was consumed by beer drinkers in Je- Jesus' day. Hersey Brewery, that's the name of it, used a wheat strain that Tel Aviv University geneticists say was used to make beer 2,000 years ago in the area. The brewery's owner explains, I found this article about these guys at the Tel Aviv University that made the genome of the model of wheat and the same grain I used and just made a light bulb uh, light. Uh, just made a light bulb light up, and I just contacted them, and within a few days, I had several kilograms of this material. We just started a process, and eventually, um, is this beer we're going <laughs> that we're drinking? <laughs> Sounds wow, like the guy's half drunk, anyways. When he's <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting, you know. You go try out the beer that maybe. Well, this is the smallest seed. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, this is great. North Korea says that Billy Graham thought Kim, uh, to sung was God. <laughs> Do you want me to read that again? I, boy, man. I'm... North Korea says uh-huh. that Billy Graham thought Kim, uh, to sung was God. Okay. To celebrate the. Yeah, that's a believable one. Yeah, 104th anniversary of the birth of King Dusung on Friday. The official state newspaper didn't just wish the late supreme leader of the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea uh, an HBD and move on. Happy birthday. Because as every spouse knows, you always have to top last year's present. Uh, Rondong <laughs> Suman got bold and claimed that even foreign religious leaders think Kim is comparable to God including Billy Graham. And he writes this quote from Billy Graham that's totally not true. Billy Graham's people came out and they're like, uh, he's lying. I never said that. So, but it's for, I think it's hilarious. That, <laughs> it's so awesome. That propaganda going on. Anyways, it's just funny. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, I got some Pope news. Brothers and sisters, come together. Hallelujah. The Pope is here. <laughs> 12 Syrian refugees have a new home. This weekend, Pope Francis invited three Muslim families who fled ISIS and the violence in Syria to live at the Vatican. Wow. Yeah. The Pope even flew them to Italy on his private plane. According to the Vatican, it's each all of the good families. Till the Vatican blows up. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> Each of the families had their homes destroyed in bombings during the country's ongoing civil war, and were living in a refugee community in Greece. In a statement, church officials said the Pope has desired to make a gesture of welcoming regarding refugees accompanying on his plane to Rome. Three families of re- refugees from Syria, twelve people in all, including six children. All the members of the three families are Muslim. The Vatican will take responsibility for bringing in and maintaining the three families. The initial hospitality will be taken care of by the community of Saint in the, in Saint somebody, some Saint person. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, it's just so. I love this Pope. Yeah, he's really uh, out of the box. He totally is. Yeah, I'm going to bring Muslims to live in the Vatican. <laughs> 
how many popes during the, that were during the uh, <laughs> that were during the uh, the Crusades are rolling in their graves right now? <laughs> how dare you, sir? That's hilarious. So, wow. anyways, all right. Um, that's all I got. Uh, I don't even have today in church history because I was too focused on inerrancy. Oh, hey. Well, hey, do you want to do some trivia? Bring it on. Video Trivia. Thank you, Wormwood. Thank you. All right. We haven't so, done this in a while. Like, I know, half a well, year or something. We've got to start from scratch because I'm sure we don't know where we're at. All right, so give me uh, give me the Old Testament. No, I'm not giving you this one. That's way too easy. Hold on. <sighs> Come on. You don't make me look like an idiot. Oh, that one's way too easy, too. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're reading all the questions. <laughs> that one's too easy. Hold on, I'm going to find one. <laughs> Oh my gosh, all these are, you gave me all the simple, okay, here we go. For which miracle did Moses neglect to give God the credit? You're welcome. You want to stop it? (laughs) Well, it would depend on your, on your interpretation of scripture. Okay. But I believe it's probably talking about the striking of the rock at Mount Horeb. Yes. Yay! Okay. Here, read this one. <laughs> no, I'm going to pick a good one for you. That was easy. <laughs> I gave you an easy one. Well, that's what I mean by good. Okay, good. Um, what... No, I'm not going to give you that one. That is way too easy. Um, whom uh-huh. did Abraham rescue from enemy forces in Genesis 14? Lot. <laughs> Yay! That was a gift. Thanks. All right, I got one more. One, one more. History and geography. Okay, bring it up. What was the name of the well where Jesus met the Samaritan woman? The name of the well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the way it cookie crumbles. Jacob's well. Yeah, it's Jacob's well. Dangling. Our ancestors have been coming and getting water from this well. Okay. Wrong! Samaritan scum. Okay. um, Do it. (laughs) Do it. Fulfill your destiny. Become a Sith overlord. Do it. Wow. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting. That is way out of size scripture, so hang on a second. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Which of the following... Which of the following is closest to Jerusalem? (laughs) <laughs> is this multiple choice? Yes. Okay. I like multiple choice. I have a one in four chance. Here we go. Yes, it is one in four chance. Bethlehem. Bethany. Emmaus. Or Jericho. I'm going to say Jericho. No, it's not. Is it Bethlehem? Yes, it is. I was, it was between Bethlehem or Jericho. And honestly, I would have said Bethany. No, Bethany's pretty close. Yeah, because, well, that's where Jesus would raise Lazarus. Well, yeah, and he would like go to uh, Jerusalem yeah. during the day. Right. And then come back and, spend and the chill night. out in Bethany. So yeah. I just assumed it was right over the hill or something. Well, no, it but, said close. Uh, it did it say closest to? Yeah, yeah. Road to Amer- Emmaus was pretty close too. Well, guys did walk. From Jerusalem to Emmaus. So it was a tough question road. because they were that all make probably sense. pretty close. Actually, the road to Emmaus would be the correct answer. That's the wrong thing. Because a road starts out in Jerusalem and leads to Emmaus. Well, the same way with Bethlehem and Bethany. <laughs> That's All right. right. Do you have your script? <sighs> Bring it. 
the Theonauts are That's what part we are. Uh-huh. of the Great Commission Transmission Network. Uh-huh. Using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctgnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter and stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Worship Show. Visit our website at theonautpodcast.com for show outlines and notes. Also, please join us in praying for one another. You can anonymously confess sins and pray for each other at prayer.theonotpodcast.com. There are several ways to contact us and to leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, your favorite podcast catcher, and don't forget to leave us comments and rate us as that helps our show reach a larger audience. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word unfallibly with us. All right. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you. All right. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. And now, the news.